Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday night. I was going to do this early in the day. But uh, anyway, let's do it right now. I'll say something about uh, the parasha, about El, perhaps, if the uh, thought strikes me before I do anything else tonight's uh, talk. It's one of five. Uh, two already been done by uh, being sponsored by uh, my good friend, Leventhal's Ed Mess Leventhal, Dr. Ed Leventhal, neurologist, uh, now of Baltimore and Gettysburg, no less, or right next to Gettysburg. And uh, you can really thank him if you like the podcast and all that, because he's the one who bugged me years ago, about 12, 15 years ago, to start doing public talks on Jewish history. I don't think anybody was interested in it, because when you're an academic, you think only you're talking to other eggheads. But he told me I was wrong, and anyway, by the time it's over, I started uh, doing uh, these uh, lectures, first in the public lecture form, the video form, uh, which I still maintain, and now the podcast. So you really can thank him if you uh, like the stuff that we're putting out over here. Uh, so tonight is uh, one of those being sponsored by himself. Uh, speaking of which, I do plan to do another lecture series as I do every winter um, in modern Jewish history. I'm planning to do it after the Yom Tovim are over. So far I have about 15, 20, eh, something like 15 uh, plans. Um, I'm actually going to be putting out the flyer. Uh, the I hope to cover the years 1984 to 88. Uh, some of you will be amused and laugh. You don't realize that's what we do every year in Baltimore. I do a microscopic uh, examination of four years at a time in modern Jewish history. Last year we did 80 to 84 approximately. This year hopefully we'll do 84 to 88 the 80s. Uh, I realize there are plenty of people listening to this who don't remember the 80s. But there are plenty that do, the age of uh, Begin and Reagan and so forth. And uh, anyway, that's what I'm planning on. I uh, plan it right now. It looks like one, two, it's about 15 altogether. I have about four or five already sponsored. I am looking for sponsors for this. So if anybody's interested in helping me out over here uh, to make this happen, it'll be the 15 Saturday nights. So. Um, You'll email, email me or contact me because we are looking for about a dozen or so sponsors. Um, now, with any further ado, I'll get down to uh, business at hand. I mentioned earlier today in a different context, it was just interesting to me, uh, whenever it comes to this time of the year, I think last week when I talked about the Parsha, I mentioned the famous first paragraph in uh, the Kisses Shulchanach when they talk about Elul and the different mnemonics. That's one classic intro. Here's another one. The, the beginning paragraph in the Chayotam, which is different. There he kind of lifts a lot out of the tour, and he gives the history as he understands it, the sacred history of the month of Elul, because after all, there's no Elul in the Bible, and there's precious little Elul as we understand it in the Talmud. Uh, go get Zevin in the Mount of the look of Elul. You'll see, yeah, there's Elul as a Rosh Chodesh for, uh, you know, uh, Tavu or something like that, Meiser, you know, that kind of technical stuff. 
but not all in the classical sense the way we do it today. But then again, there's a whole sacred history that says that, you know, 40-40-40, that the L represents the third time Moshe went up for 40 days and 40 nights. The first time, of course, was after he got the Ten Commandments on Shavuos, well, after the Ten Commandments were pronounced on Shavuos, and then he spent 40 days and 40 nights up in the mountain getting ready, being taught the whole Torah, and then culminating in the giving of the two physical tablets, which ended on, the 40 days ended on the Shavuos of Thomas. But then, obviously, he broke the tablets because he made a golden calf, and then he had to spend the next 40 days pleading with God not to wipe the Jewish people out for the sin of committing the golden calf. And that was a successful plea, and that concluded the day before Shavuos of from Shavuos of Thomas to the last day above. And then Moshe went up a third time to plead with God to sort of like get past it, you know what I mean? Because Hashem said, all right, I won't kill you, but I hate you. And Moshe said, no, we want to restore as much as we can. Uh, you can never put the golden calf away as if it didn't happen, but we want to uh, do as best as we can to get past that and reestablish a kesher. And that story is a 40-day story, which ends in the 10th day of Tishrei. Starts, that's how old. No, it starts in Moshe That's when he went up. And 40 days later, right? The idea of the magic of 40. 40 days later, from what you and I call 10th of Tishrei, Hashem said, fine, you know, Salachdi Kidrach, and he gave him two tablets. Or to be more exact, he said to Moshe, So you, this time, I'm, I, God, will not make the tablets from nothing. You will have to carve them out. But then, once you carve out the two tablets, I, will, I God, will write on them. And those are the second tablets that we go with, the Aseris Adibras. That happened on the 10th of Tishrei. Now, as the Chayyotim puts it again, he's not the, he's sort of lifting a lot from the tour. Chayyotim says very famously, from a Medrash, right? And I believe it's a Medrash in Tanabel uh, and Pirkei Lezer, not in the classic Medrash. We, I talked a few weeks, a few times ago about the genre of Medrash. It's not the normative of Medrash, uh, but nevertheless, there's a famous Medrashic teaching which says, that uh, for the 40 days and 40 nights, uh, the Jewish people uh, were at the bottom of the mountain, and Moses was up there at the top in the clouds, pleading on their behalf, and in order to show that they were, um, what's the right word, connected with Moshe, you know, Makusha with them, so they voluntarily did a Ramadan. Uh, they did 40 days, not 40 days and 40 nights, but 40 days of fasting, eating every night, right, like the Ramadan. You know, you can't fast for 40 days or 49. So, you know, every day they fasted, and at nighttime they ate. And this was to show that Moshe is up there davening, and you acknowledge, you know, that you, that you, it's a, uh, what's the right word, a very solemn and scary time. You don't know what the final result will be by refraining from eating. And um, that shows you the solemnity of El. This is before El existed and before Roshani existed. And the Chayam goes on saying, According to that Tanya that um, the fortieth day, which they realized was going to be a culminating day, because the first time on the fortieth day they got the first tablet, and the second time they got finally got forgiven, so they knew forty, day, forty days at the jackpot. So uh, on the fortieth day, they did a twenty-four hour tainus, not a Ramadan. They did like we do Yom Kippur, you know. In other words, lawn betainus betainus, whatever expression is. They did a twenty-four tainus which means they really threw themselves into it, that became the model of uh, Yom Kippur. Notice, God in heaven said, a year later, or whatever, that the day you guys, on your own, 
decided to fast for 24 hours, I now declare that Yom Kippur. Yom Kippurim. Because that was the day I forgave you last time. But again, the first people to come up with a 24-hour fast was Klal Yisrael and his own. They weren't directed to do this by Hashem. It's, you know, uh, from the bottom up, not from top down. Well, that's very interesting. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I share that because that's like a historical, a sort of histor- sort of historical take on Elul and on uh, Yom Kippur. And um, now you can ask me where Rosh Hashanah fits in all this, but I'm not going to deal with that now. Get the Mursky book. He tries to come with the answers. I don't know the great answer, but the answers for that. Uh, so that's it. And I mentioned today that the Chayyim, of course, it's very interesting because the Chayyim is a paraphrase of the Shulchan Aruch with the Mepharshim, you know, uh, paraphrase. But a lot of times he throws his own stick in. That's the most interesting part, in my opinion, when he throws his own, you know, uh, personality in there. And he says, you know, when it comes to going to the cemeteries, because the Ramah mentions that as a solemn thing to engage in a Chodesh and that's what people do. But he says, you know, make sure you don't do Dar Shalom Asim and all the rest of it. Let's be careful how you conduct yourself in the cemetery. And I made the point that I believe I'm right about this. Today in the Vilna Cemetery, the Lithuanians have destroyed all the graves, except a small handful, including the Vilna Gone, and one of them is the So the person who said, you better know how to conduct yourself in the cemetery, still is in the cemetery in Vilna. The guy haven't destroyed it yet. So I just thought that's interesting. Um, but let's turn to the Pasha in that, in that uh, light. Once you know you're an Elul, so as soon as you see um, at, at several different levels, it says, You have this crazy din of the Yifas Torah. Boy, that's a, um, what's the right word? That's an interesting topic for Elul, right? How do you translate those words even? Does that mean the Torah spoke against the Yitzhahara? Or does it mean the Torah spoke with the Yitzhahara in mind? You know, either way, it's possible to translate. Um, the, let me say this. The whole Parsha, it seems to me, is a chock full of all kinds of different dinim. You know that. And in many ways, Kiseitze, this is going to sound funny, Kiseitze is to Dvarim what Kedoshim is to Vayikra. Uh, this is a potpourri of a lot of different dinim, right? And I always like to say, or at least this year I like to say, keep in mind when you see Moshe Rabbeinu uh, saying these things, because these are the Dvar Moshe, the Moshe. So this is Moshe Rabbeinu at the end of his life, and having gone through his experiences, and, you know, been burned here and there, succeeded here and there, as you're getting the wisdom of the experience. As it's very interesting that Moshe is saying, uh, a lot in this parasha strikes me about Arayos. About sexual things, which is to me sounds like uh, it's right on the heels of the Benosimov. When did the whole story of Bilam and uh, Bullock and the Benosimov happen? Just shortly before the speech, correct? Right? Shortly before the speech. And so he's very aware that once he's dead, Jewish people are going to go into Israel. And aside from the issues of fighting the Goyim and all that sort of thing, inheriting the land, uh, you're always going to have hovering over you. Uh, the problem of uh, sexual virus, you know, things like that. And just consider well, you know, in this parsha, I'm just opening Darian Kaplan here. If you get to Darian Kaplan, Louis Torrey has like a table of contents parsha. And look at Kisese, he got your women captives. I'm just reading what he says. Then you got transvestite stuff in this week's parsha. And uh, the defamed wife, the penalty for a rise for adultery, uh, you know, I mean, onus amafata, uh, you know, the rape and everything. Uh, I mean, a lot of things. Uh, Lo Yover Mamzer, Amoni Moavi, Adam Amitri, 
he got prostitution, Loisia Kadeshim, Loisia Israel. He got divorce and remarriage, and of course, he got Yibam. And there's a lot of stuff involving Arayos matters, between male and female, let's put it that way. And it's not the only thing in the parsha, but it's a, as I just said, it plays a prominent role over here, in which case Moshe is really worried. I don't blame him. Uh, how are you going to deal with these sorts of issues? Especially when I'm not there. Even when I was there, he had trouble with Benozimov. What's going on when I'm not there? And the first thing he dresses is really so interesting because as we all know, it's the it's the Ifas Torah, you know, the captive woman, which is a nutball scene. A friend of mine called me the other day from uh, New Jersey. And he said something along the lines, maybe listening, he said something along the lines, uh, you know, consider the people in the army or tzaddikim, because the Torah says, that uh, anybody who has a virus should not be in the army. So therefore, we're talking about And how can it be, uh, the rest of it? And he had some shot that he gave, which was an interesting shot. But the more I think, I'm not, you know, what kind of, I analyze things differently. It's not the way I see things. And it's exactly the opposite. In my analysis, the reverse. The biggest people in the world will fall for your Torah. That's the reason it's in the Chumash. You'll ask me a question. Would the Chavetz Chaim and the Chazanish go and uh, chase a Torah? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. That's why the Torah says, watch out. You think I'm crazy? David and Melch did. Who's bigger, David and Melch or the Chavetz Chaim? You know what I'm saying? David and Melch or the Rambam? Because uh, it's notorious. You know, David and Melch had whole battalions of... Uh, of his and other kids that were raised by the Fast Torah. So what the heck does that mean? I mean, consider uh, uh, you know, Really? Really? So consider this well. I mean, it's a nutball uh, din. A reality. Here have a guy, I mean, this is going to sound funny. Consider well. Here's a guy who gets married. Well, he gets married, he calls a shachin, and they check in the girl's family, and she went to BJJ, or Mechalar, or, you know, she went to Yaakov, and what's Rosh Kofas, and so on and so forth. You know, and uh, is she, you know, on the modern side, is she this side, and, uh, you know, what's their attitude to learning, and this and that and the other, and you ask 10,000 questions, and all that, you know, what they call the shidduch system. That's the first wife. But the guy has two wives. The second wife is some blonde named Trixie, they picked up on a battlefield. Really? Really? You took all the trouble to find out all about the girl because you wanted to raise, as they say, say uh, a bias never be Israel. And then you took it some uh, shiksa? Well, that's what she is. The, if you look closely at the din, you will see something surprising. At least I noticed this years ago, as, as I remember it. The, the uh, Yifas Torah is like the only case you can forcibly convert to Judaism. Because she didn't say she wants to do it. And by the time it's over, she, you know, she undergoes that process. The Gilchas Rosha and this and that and the other, she, she's Jewish. And so that's terrible. What do I mean when I say it's terrible? She's not really Jewish, meaning in her heart. You know what I'm saying? She's not Jewish. What are we talking about over here? Let's get historical for a second. It's a bummer to be a female in a wartime situation. That's just a fact. And throughout history, throughout history, in every time and place, um, in everywhere, women have been forced by circumstances that when there's a war, especially in the losing side of the war, they've been forced by circumstances to make the best of a bad situation. And usually what that means is uh, making, making a pass 
at an enemy, at, at an enemy uh, soldier or uh, officer said so it'll be better that way than if she's exposed to being attacked and raped by everybody. You know how many German women did this race in at the end of the Second World War? The only thing you can do is, you know, hook yourself with a Russian colonel or something like that. I'm serious. And this is true in the Roman times, in the Egyptian times, ancient times. If, as a matter of fact, if you look in the Medish Rabbah on uh, Echel, the Jewish girls did it in the Bayes Rishon, you know, with the, with the Babylonian officers and later with the Roman officers. There are stories like that in the, in the, in the Chazal. I'm not blaming them. War is a terrible thing, especially for the woman, and as an object. And so it is what it is. That's why the Torah is real. You understand? Otherwise, it would say like this. Oh, of course you're not going to look at a woman. <laughs> right? Because you're inside a kisod all over. Yeah, that sounds good for a picky record. It's not real. There's nothing like that in a war. Not in a, in, a, in a classic war of the old school. You understand? I'm not talking about the you know, uh, game of risk over here. I'm talking about war. In the real war, this is going to happen. And for Esau, you see a pretty woman. How do you find a pretty woman like the captives? Dan says she prettied herself up because she wants to survive. That's all. And her husband's probably killed and her family's probably killed. It's like Rachel Zona situation or something like that. And she says, listen, I've got to make the best of a bad situation. And since I'm being conquered by King David's army or something like that, I have to uh, you know, reorganize my life to fit into that situation. This is how it's been forever. It's it's sad. It's wrong. It's terrible. That's how it is forever. And um, in this case, therefore, she's making a pass at the guy, so to speak. Because uh, otherwise, why is it that way? By the way, Eishas Yifastor is a funny Hebrew construction. It should be Eishas Yifastor, but I'll leave that aside for the second, for the Malvin people. But um, there's a lot of Sukkim. But what's going on over here? You're saying, this is how it's going to be. And what it means is that uh, if you go into battle, this is going to happen. At least to some people. Uh, and don't tell me how big you are and from you all the rest of it. The Chazanish was never in the army in a killing, fighting situation with going berserk. If he would have been, then he it's, it's a good chance he could turn out like that also. Which is why he made his business never to go into an army. Right? The Gedolius Ross, we understand, tried to organize their lives the best they could to avoid that sort of situation. But the Jewish people as a whole are going to have an army, right? Especially in the old days, they're going to have a melech, you're going to have an army. And uh, and when that happens, what can I tell you? When it happens, you're going to find uh, these kinds of situations. Uh, it's a fine line between this and rape. A fine line in, in the battle. And uh, it's Machlokas and Chazal, you know, does he have beer first or not, or anything like that. It's a... It's a fine line. And the result is that Dibber took a Negei Yetzirah. It's, it's a, it, it, this is to me remarkable. Negei Yetzirah means like this. The Torah speaks with the Yetzirah in mind. Which means if it tells you, just don't have nothing to do with the girl, the guy's not going to listen. And so what it's telling you is, like I said, if you're going to do it, then re- regulate it to do it this way. Hopefully by the time Gilchas Rosha Vasa Sibranel Vesir Simlas Shivya Me'alel by the time it's over, the Jewish soldier will say, ah, heck with it. I'm not interested in her. I'm certainly not interested in her in the sense of and she, she should be my second wife next to the Beis Yaakov girl. How's that going to work out? <laughs> right? How's that going to work out? I don't want her kids running around with the kids I have from the Beis Yaakov girl. How's that going to work out? These are going to be Jewish kids brought up in one way. These kids are going to be a bunch of Scots and brought up in another way. You get what I'm saying? 
So it's the old line, you know, love and 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 uh, romance is one thing, and marriage is another. You need romance for the marriage, but the romance thing by itself is not enough for a marriage. Okay, it's not enough for a marriage. So it's a heavy parsha, and a fascinating parsha that we have over here, and um, it's only part of what you find as you go through Kisete, and Moshe Rabbeinu is warning about this, because what, ha- what, what was the most recent incident in the life of Moshe Rabbeinu? The Benos Mov. What exactly was the Benos Mov? Mamish that story. Right? Mamish that story. Uh, what am I mean? Uh, the Benos Mov, literally, what the girls seduced the, the soldiers. But then they had the war with Midian, and they brought back all these women, and Moshe said, kill them. Remember that? In Parshish Matos, was it? Or Masai? And uh, Why? He said, I'm, I'm going to have 10,000 fast stories over here. That's what it boils down to. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, let's put it this way. They'll take you down. Moshe Rabbeinu does not want to die with the Jewish camp filled with 10 or 20 or 30,000 of these shikses uh, that were recently taken uh, from a Midian battle who you can know doggone well, at least half of them are going to persuade their husband to worship the God's dominion, by the time the whole process is over, Moshe doesn't want that. Moshe doesn't want that. He says, uh, you know, then you have to go through a whole uh, rigmarole um, to get out of it. But uh, let's not say anything. David did it. And others did it. And David's a bigger tzaddik than anybody we know. But the answer is, David was a warrior. That was the way his life worked out. That's not the only thing he did, but he, played, he fought plenty of wars. And you find plenty of wars, and especially in the old days, you find yourself in plenty of these Yifastor situations. And I don't think you did it all the time, but it happened. And, uh, you know, there's a Muslim house skill. An army, by definition, is something, you know, by its sociological composition, is calculated to degrade uh, typical civilian morality. That is just a, a fact of history. You understand? Whenever there's been an army, I can't think of any army, maybe with one exception or two, that have been what you call moral armies. You understand? Where the men, when they have the, the days off, don't go around and run after women and things like that. That's every army that's ever lived. You understand? Maybe Oliver Cromwell's army was an exception. Maybe. You know, I never was my eye that closely. They say that. But that's the only one. Correct? An army is bad news. This is why, you know, uh, from Jews are hesitant in the army. Now, in Israel, you have a special situation. You hope you can work it out. They have these uh, Hezder units and things like that. But even if you talk to Israeli guys, and I had relatives in the army, all the rest of it, where there's a much better framework for being from, you have in Israel than anywhere else. It ain't push it at all. You know, all kind of stuff happens. And nobody is in favor, well, I shouldn't say nobody, you know, but no from people in favor of girls should go in the army. This is, this is the reason. Army by itself knocks things down. If you know American history, this country's uh, morals, classic old-fashioned morals, were wrecked by World War I and World War II. You know, as American social historians will tell you about this. It used to be 100 years ago or 110 years ago that you had the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant ethic and it was a lot of farmland stuff. And therefore, the country was pretty doggone straight-laced. You understand? Uh, in, in the public culture. Uh, a lot of language you didn't use, and uh, a lot of uh, sexual references you didn't use, and things like this. Then World War One, and particularly World War Two, so many people went through the service. Uh, so many people were, were were put together in these army units. They came out vulgarized. 
they start cursing, they start talking about everything sexual, the girls got messed up as a result of this. It's a very interesting uh, process. We never really recovered from the victory of World War II, even though World War II was a righteous war. And the American army fought very valiantly, knows it was a war in a just cause. But even a just cause, you know, uh, it leaves its effects. This is what history teaches over here. There is some peerish, I forget who it is, uh, doubtless under the influence of what I just described to you, there's some famous peerish that which says, Pinchas ben Elazar, Hindi Nosen Leis Brisi Shalom, one of them, Afarshim, I forget which one, says that the shot Hindi Nosen Brisi Shalom means, I will make sure, God says, uh, to Pinchas, you'll not be vulgarized by the violent experience in which you engaged by killing Zimri ben Solo and Cosby. Because usually, once you get involved in that, it just takes and makes you more um, militaristic and vulgar and all the rest of it. Hey, Priestess Shalom, you, you will retain your, uh, what shall I say, your elevated sensitivity or something like that. Which is an interesting shot, but it's obviously derived from the fact that the whoever the Mafarish was saw soldiers are vulgarizing the situation. It's what it is. You understand? It's what it is in, in every army that ever existed. Uh, now, having said that, we um, got a whole laundry list, as I said before, of these uh, Arias related things, all these sexual matters you have in this week's Parsha. And you see that. Um, Moshe Rabbeinu is acknowledging, the Torah is acknowledging, these things will never go away. You understand? Uh, there will always be mums here. Uh, there will always be this error. You have a parasha, there should be no prostitutes among the Jews. How could it even be? If you know the Jewish history, many, many communities, I mean, this is going to make shock you, many communities, especially the Sephardim, um, had Jewish prostitutes, because uh, which were regulated by the Gil in one form or another. Because, uh, right or wrong, right or wrong, I think I did this when I did the Rivash, because he's very famous in Achiba for blasting the Kehillas in Aragon for allowing such things. Uh, and that Chubas and Rivash is brought in the beginning of Hulk's Need in the first Ramah. Uh, but it's a Matthias. And there's a very good article, <laughs> now, I'm not recommending anybody necessarily read this, from Professor Assis about sexual mores among the Sephardic Jews in the Middle Ages. Uh, people have no idea. What life was like in those days, but here's here's the point I want to say. The Torah says, "Lo see a kedushim knows Yisrael." Because it says, "You're not allowed." Moshe says, "You're not allowed to do this," right? But then it says right afterwards, "Lo savi esnon zona beisashem alkecha." You can't bring an esnon zona. The thing you were going to pay a prostitute, you can't use that for a carbon. What? Why do you have to say that? You just said nobody should be a prostitute, and then you say the money you're going to pay for a prostitute, the esnon, right, should not be used. For a carbon or something like that. I mean, what what does that show you? The, the Torah is saying like this: you shouldn't do it, but there will always be that. You're saying no, this will never go away. We always, it's a, it's an unending fighting, and you will see people that are so desensitized. I just stole the for They saying Yiddish. A guy comes to base on Megdush. He goes to the coin. You know, he says, "I got an offering." And what's wrong with the offering? It's an or a zona. You know, brings an offering or something like that. That itself boggles the mind. And here's an Esnon, you know what I mean? Here's the, here's the, the wages of a harlot. I want to use this for a carbon. Uh, 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 it's coming. You know, I got a carbon Pesach, I got to pay for it. How about the Esnon zone of it? I mean, who would have the chutzpah to go to a Kohen based on Migdash? I'm wrong. The Torah says it's going to happen, and therefore, you should know it's a los say. You get it? And in the Chazal, you know, the Gemara, they discuss all the ins and outs of this and so forth. What does that show you? There's some people that won't have a hesitation 
to come to the holiest place in the world, you know, it's Yom Kippur, that's Nanzona. You see? So, uh, these are issues that don't go away. And as I always say, this is how you know the Torah is real, because they don't give you the fluff. They give you the real story over here. And real story, these are issues that will always be uh, uh, challenges. The Rambam, very famously in Hilchus Asura B, says, well, never will be a, never was, never will be a Kehola, didn't have a problem with the rise, because it's a human being thing. If somebody's normal, he's going to interest in girls. If she's normal, she's going to in guys. If you don't figure out ways to re- regulate it through marriage and this and that and the other in the, you know, in society, they make fun of the from Jews because everything is segregated. The boys here and the girls here. The men's thing here and the girls' thing there. You're fine. They can make fun of it. But the alternative is you end up like Parshas uh, Kiseitse, you know, with an Zona and a Mechir Kelev and a, and a Mamzer and a this and that and the other, which is what general society usually degenerates into. You understand? Everybody knows this. Um, the so-called Judeo, Judeo-Christian uh, the Judeo-Christian um, morality is basically based on the two places, you know, on the in the Chumash, right? It does, the 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 do's and don'ts mainly come from Judaism, not from Christianity. You follow? And what's interesting is, at least to me, um, offhand, I can just think as I'm sitting here, it's like two places where this is taught, where this is discussed. Uh, one's in Vayikra and one's in Dvarim. Vayikra is Hashem talking, right? Meaning. You know, it's a straight just dictating to Moshe. And in Dvarim, there's more of a Moshe voice, as we discussed here many times. Moshe's talking afterwards, Hashem puts in the Torah, you know, the way he wants. So, uh, what should I say? All these things we find in Parshat Shetzi, you don't have earlier in the Torah. And people have commented on this. Let me, put, let me give you an example. Isn't it funny that Gitin is only Kisetse? I mean, Gitin is such a basic piece of life. How come wasn't in the Vayikra Bamidbar? You know what I mean? This is interesting. It's not simply Mishnah Torah. The Torah is just repeating what it says in the other places. We all know they're playing Chedushim in, in Dvarim. And here's a perfect example of what I'm talking about, right? Here's a perfect example. And so, um, how do you deal with that? It's What you find in Vayikra are generalized things. I have plenty of details. Generalized things. Uh... Don't act, you know. Kimaseir Mitzrayim losasu, Kaisemir Kananashir losasu. That the Jewish people have two bad models in front of them. The um, the what do you call it? The the uh, uh, practices of Egypt. I'm talking about the sexual practices of Egypt, and um, the what do you call it? The uh, Canaan, both of which were notorious. And remember, the Jewish people used to have a lot of practices like Egypt. For example, brothers and sisters used to marry before Mount Torah, correct? Brothers and sisters used to marry. Brothers and sisters marry. So, I know it sounds crazy to us today, but in the long ago, things were different. So, um, these are broad generalizations. They're like what you and I call the incest laws. What Moshe Rabbeinu is talking about in this week's Parsha is much more nitty-gritty, it seems to me. Right? What you find in this week's Parsha is, you know, uh, a rape, uh, you know, Mafata. Uh, I mean, it's just interesting, you know. It's, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, a get. And usually it's a get because he thinks the wife's a buyer of his lover. You know, he thinks the wife's unfaithful to him. He gets much more nitty-gritty. And uh, all you can say is, 
Moshe Avenu is uh, saying, listen, I, I, I have experience, I've, I've been around, I've seen this, I'm afraid of this in the future. These are things that can take down Kali Yisrael. Right? There's external problems, but there's internal problems. One set of internal problems is idolatry. That's true, no question about it. You have Avodah Zarah, and there's plenty in the Book of Dvarim dedicated to Avodah Zarah and that issue. Okay, now put that aside. That's not the only problem. You can have a whole situation where people do not have issues with Avodah Zarah, but they have issues with arise with family matters. You see? A wide variety. A wide variety. And, uh, you know, uh, as I said before, listen, what's the news in Israel now? They had a gang rape, you know what I mean, a lot, and all this stuff that everybody's going crazy about. And we had in Pelagos Begibah, the same thing, long ago. Uh, Moshe's warning about this, because these are issues that can take you down, uh, you know, the same way an enemy army can take you down. Uh, marrying the wrong kind of person is a fatal, okay? It's fatal. If you marry a Moavi or Amoni, it's a, it'll be fatal. You understand? You marry Mamzer and so it'll be fatal. If you marry the Fastoar, apparently it's interesting. It was, it, 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 it's not possible to say don't marry the Fastoar. Dibber Turkenegi eats a heart. Dibber Turkenegi eats means really you shouldn't do it. But since I can't tell everybody not to do it, so, you know, at least do it this way. Uh, interesting. So the power of these attractions are a, a tremendous challenge to the survival of Judaism. That's what you see over here. And um, another interesting part is that, uh, in other words, the, the, the flip side is uh, the importance of maintaining and buttressing the family unit. Correct? Because it can't all be don't, don't, don't. You have to have do, do, do also. So if you can't get involved with this person, get involved with that person, have a good marriage with the wife. And what does it say? I think this week's part isn't it, where it says, Noki Yele Shona Achas. Now, the first year you get married, the husband and wife should devote the time for each other. He shouldn't, he shouldn't go places and do all kinds of things like that. And he shouldn't uh, go in the army and, and whatever. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you have to have time to establish a good cashier with the person you married. Like your foster is not exactly called establishing a good cashier with, with the person you married. And uh, it comes right after getting, by the way. I think first comes to get, then it comes to Noki, yeah, uh, Shana Achas. And what's also, uh, what shall I say, uh, part of the uh, you know uh, story over here, uh, but an interesting way, is the Yibam, of course. So you see, one thing after another has to do with their eyes. The Yibam, of course, has to, obviously, has to do with, uh, you know, uh, what shall I say, uh, um, you know, uh, making sure you know, that the, the, the name of the brother will survive. Uh, again, it's, it's buttressing the family. So, these are not the only things that are mentioned in the Parsha, but it seems to me that they play a very prominent role in the Parsha. It's this interesting that Moshe Rabbeinu, after giving a long harangue, because that's what Dvorim Vaschan and Ekev is, there is mostly about the dangers of Vodazar and things connected with the Vodazar. Not entirely, but mostly. Then he gets down into Shoftim and Kisates and Kisava. And, uh, you know, Shoftim has to do with government issues, the regulation of society. But what do you do? What does Kisates say about? Kisates says, you're going to have a society, there will be wars, there will be the taxes, there will be this, that, and the other. Uh, how you gonna how are you gonna deal with it? How how, how are you gonna work it out? Uh, and as I said before, that means that the Torah deals with real life. Because otherwise they would have said you'll go to Eretz Yisrael, you'll live a life of total ruchnius, make sure you don't worship any idols. Uh, I know you're all gonna have vacas twenty four seven, and the marriages will all be perfect, and so on and so on, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't work like that. You know, 
there will be wars, there will be issues, there will be, uh, you know, there will be honest and fun, there will be cases of rape, uh, there'll be all kinds of situations, and uh, you have to learn how, there'll be cases like Sarkar, Narmar, Sarkar, and Mashiwa, you know, there'll be cases of uh, rape in the field, and, uh, you know, uh, all, all various forms of this, we learn the Yehargva Yavar rules from from this in the Gemara in, in Sanhedrin in 74, uh, these are are the ugly side of life, but the Torah deals with, with 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 both sides of life. You can't ignore the ugly side of life. You have to try to uh, figure out how to overcome the ugly side of life. And I'll say it again: it's been hardwired into our culture. You and I, I think I'm talking to most listeners on this. I imagine uh, are like this: hardwired that uh, you know uh, we have to have a more puritanical approach relationship between the sexes uh you know maybe somebody go to co-ed this and that, the other generally speaking the firm approach has always been opposed to that and uh this is a question of how far you want to go you can go off the deep end like they do in israel now you can't show a picture of any uh, any woman anywhere or you know that's off the deep end or you know uh regular uh let's put it this way regular hafrada but uh some hafrada has to be there now, this is a case that puts the Torah against society. Because the societal message today is opposed to anything I just said. And views, and, and the first thing I'll tell you is it's unhealthy and it's bad. As if the marriages that come from the non-from world or modern world are more successful than the marriages that come from the from world. It's not true. Not true. And seriously, you know, the Hasidim get married after all the stories are over. Hasidim, for example, get married. Uh, their marriages are as successful and as not successful as somebody else's. You get it? Uh, because marriage, success, success in marriage doesn't have anything to know about, doesn't really have anything to know, boy, did you know how to talk to girls when you were 15? Not, not really true. It's not what it takes to, to make a marriage successful. Uh, and I'll tell you again, it's, it's interesting that Moshe, you know, uh, is calling attention to this, and, and Hashem puts it in the, in the book of Dvarim. And all this is in the middle of El. Now, from a Musaris point of view, now with this I'll conclude. Musaris point of view, we throw a lantern. How are you going to read the parsha? You read the parsha like this: If you go to war against your enemy, notice if you say like this: I'm taking on the Yitzhara, I'm going to war against it. Uh, then God will hand it over to you. Meaning, if you fight Nevera for real, you will win. He says, your oyev is the Yitzhara, and Sancham Biyodecha. But then wash out, the Yitzhara will then reinvent itself as as something that's HAC Torah, as if it's a mitzvah. Because one of the classic ways that the Yitzhara is, you know, if it says like this, uh, instead of doing an outright sin, it will disguise itself in the form of a mitzvah. Uh, that's when you get a lot of religious hypocrisy and things like that. Uh, this, if you're interested in, is in Masil Shishar. You get it? Where, you know, the famous argument is, don't worry about your veyers, worry about your mitzvahs. You know, what, 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 what's wrong with my mitzvahs? I went davening today. Yeah, but how'd you daven and what'd you have in mind? And, you know, the quality of the avoda is uh, what we're talking about. And the whole parsha can be read in that way. You know, you want to take this this uh, disguise, it's a horror one. Uh, then, then you know, Gilchus Rosh, I said Then analyze it for what it really is. In other words, 
at least view yourself and your and your actions objectively. Take away the rouge, undo the hair. Don't allow yourself to be uh, fooled by the superficial attractiveness of this item. Analyze it correctly and ask yourself if it's really a mitzvah or really a vera. Well, that's a famous way of learning a parshki seitzay. And uh, I think if you want to have an interesting conversation at Shabbos, <laughs> it's like Navardic. Everybody get up and say, yes, what is your, what sin do you do because it disguises itself as a mitzvah? And how can you see through that? That's really a very, very interesting conversation, isn't it? That's like a Navardic conversation. But there are worse things you can do in the month of El, something that involves um, real and perhaps even ruthless uh, self uh, analysis, self introspection, sometimes will leave it very interesting results. Anyway, that's it. Have a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.